You are listening to Shining Star Community Church, English Ministries Sunday Message. Please visit us at www.shiningstar.life. like a married couple they were arguing about who should make coffee and the wife said hey you know what the bible says that man should and he says what are you talking about where in the bible does it say that and she opened the bible and said look it says right here in hebrews (laughs) everyone everyone say pastor david just stop it so why did i share the world's funniest joke it's horrible. I just didn't have any other segue into my first point. Okay, so here it is. The Old Testament was written in what language? Ah, uh, Hebrews. Very good, okay? So there's a connection. But more specifically, as you study through the book of Genesis, you'll see these patterns, okay? And one very clear pattern are that the stories begin with like a generation or a genetic line that came from a person or from an event, and that Hebrew word is called tal, or toldo. Can you say toldo? Okay, which essentially just means generations. And so in Genesis, there are nine specific toldos, okay, which is creation, or Adam, Noah, Shem, Terah, Ishmael, Isaac, Esau, and Jacob. And so why is that important? Well, remember, who wrote the Pentateuch? Who wrote Genesis. Moses, right? And he gave these stories to the Israelites because he wanted to help them out with something. He wanted to help them out and allow them to place themselves in history because they they all had a very specific identity. And he wanted to remind them. But why? Here's the thing. These people, the people of Exodus, the Israelites, they're coming out of, get this, 400 years of slavery from a foreign country. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine the things that were lost during those four centuries? I mean, for me, I'm born and raised here in the good old U.S. of A., but there are times when I look at the Korean culture and language, and I'm just like, I don't get it. And And I'm only whatever many years old. I just don't get it. It's just interesting. Anyways, so this here... Toldo gives them kind of a a gauge or like a reference point or a context uh, of of who they were to God and what God wanted from them. So these generational breakdowns here, it was to tell them how God worked in their past, how God is still working in their present, and how God will work in their future. So that's the whole point of these kind of sectional breakdowns. So let's go back to the text here. My sermons actually can come from chapters 10 and 11, because these two chapters are one whole toldo, okay? Everyone say, wow. Now, you'll see here in chapter 10 that God had really made really just us into one big human family. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're my family. Now, that's my first point. God made us all into one big human family, right? Like Michael Jackson got it right. We are the world. You'll notice, however, that in chapter 10, there's no genealogy, as in this, the whole, you know, this person beget this person who begot this person, and so on and so forth. Instead, what you'll get is something called the table of nations. In other words, it'll connect individuals to various nations. But what's cool is that all these people, 
all of these people in the whole world, they all came from the same place, from the three sons of Noah. It says in chapter 10, verse 1, These are the generations of the sons of Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Sons were born to them after the flood. And it says it again in verse 32 of chapter 10. So I'm going to share with you all something here. It may seem like a, um, um, like a tangent, but it's not. I want to share with you all today the vision of our church, of Shining Star English Ministry. And the vision that I received from the Lord through my prayers for the past several months for the upcoming 2017 year. But first, I want to tell you what the Lord said we're not called to be. We're not called to be just the next mega church. Now, I'm not saying that mega churches are all bad or anything like that, but I don't want our focus to be about our priorities to be about attendance and just membership. Okay? In other words, just numerical growth for the sake of saying, hey, look how big our church is. We're not called to be the next. Korean church either, the next big Korean church of the greater Washington area. We're not called to be that, no. We're not called to be a church that also remains in its kind of spiritual comfort zones, where we all kind of pursue nominalistic Christianity. No. We're actually, we're not called to focus on just the next big thing either, the next big trend. And in fact, we're not even called to be just a preaching center you know, the churches in the New Testament, it was interesting. They were never defined by the personality of the preacher, but by the character of its members. Do you know that? It was never just defined by the guy standing up here. It was defined by you, us, we. And so, what is the new vision for our EM? The Lord kept highlighting the same thing over and over again in my mind and my heart as I was praying. He said this, shining star, community church, know your name. Shining Star Community Church, know your name. I believe we're called to preach the word of God. We're called to invest in missions like IMB and like the Lottie Moon. We're called to devote ourselves to discipleship. I also believe that we're called to include fun games and activities for our members, to do things that are enjoyable, to go out and do recreational things. But I believe we're all called to do that within the community we're smack dab in the middle of, the people right outside these doors the people right outside your door. The new 2017 year will be a year where Shining Star will truly be the community's church. Amen? Oh, can I hear an amen? amen. Because I see, I see, when I walk around, I see future Shining Star family members right outside these doors. I see them. I see them walking their dogs. I see their dogs defecating on our yards. And I can't get too mad because I'm like, you might be a part of our church one day. I can see on Sunday afternoons our dear future members walking out of their homes and just walking into this chapel. It won't be easy. In fact, we have evangelized before. We have tried walking from door to door before, and we've got a lot of slammed doors in our faces. But you know what? I say entering to a family is never really that easy. We need to really demonstrate our genuine love for them with consistency, with commitment, and with a lot of prayer. So let's be Shining Star Community Church. Amen? Turn to your neighbor and say, I want this. Now, <clears throat> I say all that because we tend to think that what we have here right now going on, right? What we have here, the people who are currently sitting next to us, you know, those are people who always, you always have that one person who sits next to you during church or during fellowship downstairs, right? And we're kind of comfortable with that. Or maybe in our life group families, we all now have this, like, we have our members, we have our group, we have our core, and we think this is the extent of what it means to be a biblical, spiritual family, 
but it's not true. In chapter 10, verses 2 to 5, you'll read of the descendants of Japheth. From him, Gomer's family settled north of the Black Sea. They later expanded westward into Europe. Magog, Tubal, and Meshech, they all settled north in what was now known as Russia and Turkey. Then we have Tyrus settled in what was now known as Italy and later the Roman Empire. Madai migrated east and became the father of the Medes, which is northwestern Iran. Javan went west and became the father of the Greeks. And so Japheth has been known as the father of the people of European descent as well as East Indian descent. One family. Or how about descendants of Ham? Cush is the biblical name for Ethiopia. Misrium is the biblical name for Egypt. Foot is known as Libya and North Africa, west of Egypt. But Canaan, it didn't migrate south in Africa. In fact, him and his descendants, as we know, settled in the Middle Eastern land, which, is, which was eventually taken over by Israel. One of Cush's son named Nimrod, everyone say, that's not a good name. He founded Babylon. And we'll talk more about him a little bit later. But although it's not completely clear, there are sources that indicate that Ham's descendants populated Asia too. Maybe that's why some of his Koreans love Ham. Sorry. Finally, we come to Shem. His descendants are the Semitic people. We know them as Elamites, as Assyrians, which are part of northern Iraq, southern Turkey, and northeastern Syria, but also Lydians or Arameans, known as current-day Syria. So why say all this? What difference does any of this make here? I believe we're given this information from the word, from Moses, from God, so that we understand that the people who sit across from you on the metro, the Sikh who lives down the road from you, the family from Thailand that lives in your apartment complex, the Russian teen who just got enrolled into your school, into your kid's school, that all these people are our cousins, that they are our family. Their needs, their hopes, their dreams, their problems, their family struggles, their successes and failures are really not all that much different from ours. There's a reason why in Revelation chapter 7 and 9 we read of the vision that John receives from God and he testifies, After this I looked, one, behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to the God, to our God, who sits on the throne and, in the, and is the Lamb. God, he made us one big human family. He did. Look, I, I think we all know racism, discrimination, prejudice, they have no place in the house of God. But I think we need to know that neither does our view of uniformity belong here either. Because it certainly has no place in the heavenly presence of God. That means if you want this ministry to always look and this church to always look a certain way and to have a certain feel, you might be discouraged to see that that's not how the Lord, and that's not where the Lord is leading us to. I actually had this one person say, Pastor Dave, you need to start dressing younger. Because we want to, he said, we want us to kind of draw in a younger crowd. And I said, I'm sorry. <laughs> this is all I have. I mean, people, I say, let that settle in your hearts as we enter into the new year, as we prepare and pray and faithfully seek out those who look different than us. But by God's grace, they have been chosen by him. 
by God's grace, they have been chosen by God to be part of this diverse family that loves and enjoys him. Amen? So this leads us to our next and really final point, and that is I think oftentimes churches become this kind of homologous group. It becomes a church filled with college students, or churches filled with young professionals, or churches filled with just young married couples, or churches filled with just young families or families or older people or whomever, whatever, all that stuff. In fact, I've even had in the past several church members leave because they simply thought that they had no place here in Shining Star, and so they went out looking for a church that most resembled who they were and where they were in life. On a couple occasions, they said, we don't have enough working professionals here. I'm going to search elsewhere. Maybe this is some of the struggle that some of our life groups have. Look, our life groups are pretty diverse, and I love that. We got people who are in their 50s and 60s, and they're minist- not just ministering, but they're doing life together with people who are in their, in their early teens. How on earth could a group this different become a spiritually united family? Now, this all starts back, I think, when we were young. Back then, we called them cliques, right? Back in middle school or high school, you had the jocks, you had the nerds, you had the drama kids, you had to fill in the blank, whatever you want to call it. And what's sad is that we kind of allow that kind of social identity to continue on through our adult lives. And so even... It even trickles into our church and said, we kind of want this type of people. We want, this, we want people that look like this and who have done this and have accomplished this. And so here's what this passage has to say about that. He says this, that you can never truly enjoy unity except in Christ. No matter how much we try to bring people of the same look, same kind of background, you can never truly enjoy unity except in Christ. And that's our second point. The world will never enjoy true unity. It just won't. It can't. That means even if you're surrounded by people who look like you, who eat what you eat, who do what you do, hate what you hate, and love what you love, it still not, cannot carry the same depth of unity and intimacy that you can get from someone whose life has been transformed by the very same Savior who transformed your life. When I traveled around the world, you see, brothers and sisters, I saw many different types of people. And the people I got closest with were the ones who claimed that they, too, believed in Christ. And they worshipped him. And in spirit, I knew that they were my brother, that they were my sister. So hear me out. Chapter 10 paints a picture of an extremely unified world, right? Because here we see all the nations descending from a single family. Then all of a sudden, something happened. So how did, we, how did the world get so divided? And that's really the point of our text today. In Genesis chapter 11, verse 9, 1 through 9 explains what caused the nations to scatter. Look, let me tell you this. History is filled with people who attempt to unify the world. You know, it's ironic. I received, a, I do, I have a subscription Times Magazine. And last week was, um, last week was Trump was in it. And the title was President of the Divided States of America. But what's, but here's the thing. But that's what men have always attempted to do, to unify the nations, the world, the people. But what's the problem? Why is it so hard? Why is it always something that's on the agenda of these people? The center of man is the thing. The center of man isn't inherently good. You have to know that. The heart of man is not inherently good. In fact, it's inherently evil. And so even the best, best intention, the best attempts to unify is done without God. And if it's done without God in the picture, it will only lead to corruption. Because man, again, is only just in the center. So here we read in chapter 11, man's first attempt to unify the world. 
with man as the standard. So here we ba- go back to chapter 10. There's a guy named Nimrod. Everyone say Nimrod. That's a funny name, right? Okay. Three times he's called mighty. This guy was favored by men. By men. He was competent. He was courageous. He had political influence and power. But he was not a man of good character. He was not a man who had who was, who was a noble leader. So when you read the verse that says Nimrod was mighty before the Lord, it doesn't mean that he was esteemed by God. It doesn't mean that God's like, oh, I'm impressed by this individual and his capability and his fortitude and all that stuff. No, it means that when it says he was mighty before God, it means that Nimrod was so prideful that he thought he could get up in God's face and say, look at me. Nimrod was considered a hunter, but a hunter of men, meaning he was known for his aggressiveness, his ability to dominate other men with ruthlessness. So this guy, he was a great man in the eyes of the world. A great man in the eyes of the world. But in the eyes of God, this guy was evil, rebellious, unfaithful, prideful, ruthless. The list goes on and on. And with every nation that dares to defy God, it often begins with one person, this one arrogant, rebellious leader who says, it's about me, it's not about God, it's about the will of the people, not about the will of God, it's about establishing my power and not submitting to the power of God. So in verses 3 and 4, you see people all crazy excited to be part of this building project. I mean, what could be possibly wrong with trying to build a skyscraper? What's wrong? Well, we're told of their motivation. It was driven by a selfish desire to make a name for themselves. It says, build ourselves a city, make a name for ourselves. This project has nothing, had nothing to do with the glory of God. Absolutely nothing to do with the glory of God. And everything to do with the goal of having a man-centered empire. But note what else they say in verse 4. It says, come, let's build ourselves a city and the tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. You see, in that, in that pride, there was also fear. You see, when you begin to abandon God, listen to me, people here, when you begin to abandon God, when God no longer becomes the center of your life, fear begins to set in. Fear begins to set in. The fear of being scattered, the fear of being unconnected, the fear of losing your security, the fear of tomorrow, the fear of 2017, the fear of what will I do if I do this, if I do that. You see, the people lost God as their center, and instead they replaced that center with each other. Get that? They removed God from their center, or they lost God from their center, and they instead replaced that center with each other. They were determined to hold on to that. They want to even fill their own needs with their own community. They want to stay put and only surround themselves with what's familiar. They want to remain in their comfort zones, have a stable job, stable income, get married, have kids, just staying within their own little confines of security. But not only that, there was a religious motivation in all this too. They set out to build a tower that reached into the heavens. You see, This wasn't an attempt to just make the highest altar to therefore make sacrifice to a wonderful God. No, this was a collective effort to glorify the creation of their own hands. Modern man does the same thing. We put the first man on the moon. We were the first to invent this or to achieve that. In fact, if you look at the Guinness World of Records, you will see some of the most bizarre achievements 
some of the weirdest ones. And it's all done just so that person can say, I did it, no one else did. It was me, it was my effort, it was my discipline, it was through my sacrifice, it was me, me, me. And so recognize my achievement, recognize my work, recognize my glory. And I get it. I get this whole idea of, look what I can do. Look, I've talked to people who had a hard life growing up. Their parents were a bit financially down. They never had money to spend, and so they've experienced a lot of financial struggles, and so they lived in poverty, and now as adults, they have this mindset that to ensure that they never ever live like that again, I got to work, I got to work, I got to work, I got to work 40, 50, 60 hours a day I don't, or a week, and when we talk about tithing now, when we talk about your money isn't yours, when they hear that, they take it personally. They say, well, God didn't magically fill up my bank account. God didn't put food on my table. It was me. It was my hard work. It was my work ethic. It was through my discipline. It was me. It's my, no one else. It's just me. Folks, we all tend to think that the Lord's hand was somehow momentarily removed from our lives during those times of struggle and that we, were, we ourselves were the ones who pulled ourselves up from our bootstraps and made things happen. Yes, we're all called to, hard, to, to work hard, but we're also called to recognize that our ability, our opportunities, our place in life, our relationships, our connections, our drive, our intellect, and our everything was given to us from God. So it's like this. Whenever I build Lego towers with Ada, she, she's three years old. There's only so much that she can do. So I'll build it. And I'll build a magnificent, sturdy tower of just glory. And I will pretty much use all, if most if not all, the blocks. And I'll make it sturdy because I know what she likes to do, right? She likes to push things. And so I'll try to keep it as sturdy and as powerful and have good foundation as possible. But then Ada will always have that one last triangular piece. Right? And so after I finish it, she'll go up to the top and she'll get her little triangle piece and she'll put it right in the, right on the top and say, yay, I did it. Look, Daddy. And I'm like, yeah, okay. What'd you do? I won't say that, obviously, but I'll humor her and I'll say, wow, great job. You did all this. <laughs> look, Mommy, come here and look at what she built. We laugh, and yet that's what we do every time we try to take credit for these accomplishments in our lives. We say, look, God, look at what I did. And God's like, what? What are you talking about? Not only that, God, he sees what's going on. Verses 5, 9, I love this. I, th I think maybe, I think Moses is being, I thought God was being funny here. It says he comes down to see. He comes down to it. It's funny because when they're trying to make something so spectacular and so glorious and so high, and yet God's saying, let me come down to see that. Right? Like, let me go from the heights of heavens to how low this is. It was God having to come down from the heavens to see how low it was. Anyways, God, he confuses their language. We're not sure how God did this. We're, we're not sure um, <clears throat> how long the scattering took. But we do know that worked. And all the people stopped building. They all just kind of moved away from one another. Now, here, let, me, let me say this. I think, I think it's a tricky thing for us to try to take credit and glory from God. And we do that so often. 
Look, I love this church, and I love my church family here, but the moment I make all this about all of me, I firmly believe the Lord who loves this church more than I do and God who loves you guys more than I could ever, that he will remove me from this position. The moment I make it all about me. Don't toy with God's glory. Don't toy with this thing called pride and this notion that all you have, all you've done, and all you are is because of you. And so something interesting happens here in verse 6. Look at verse 6, okay? And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they have all one language, and this is the only beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. So it kind of sounds like God feels threatened. He's like, oh my goodness, I have to stop them because if I don't, then nothing will be impossible. And they will just take over the galactic empire and all that stuff, right? No. That's not the case. Why in the world would the creator feel threatened by his creation? So what did God mean? God was protecting man from himself. You see, this scattering wasn't just judgment God placing upon, the judgment that God placed upon the sinfulness of man. This divine judgment was also, get this, not just a judgment, but an act of preservation. An act of preservation. This was God's grace in action. Let me clarify that. When God sent Adam and Eve out of the garden, it was both judgment and preservation. When God judged Cain for the murder of his brother, it was judgment and preservation. The flood was about God's judgment and preservation, and the same is true here today. You see, God, he knew something that we didn't know. God knew the capacity of man's pride. He knew the capacity of man's wickedness. The center of man's heart when it's not Christ is centered on its own desires. And this is evil. And this is rebelliousness. And this is anti-God. So get this. If man's plans for unity was accomplished, this whole Babel Tower, if it was accomplished with the heart behind it for man's greatness and not God's, then this unity would have resulted in a great wickedness. It wouldn't have improved humanity. It wouldn't have bettered the world. It wouldn't have drawn them closer to the Lord. It would have increased their wickedness. It would have increased their pride. It would have increased their evil. And God says, I'm going to stop it before it does. You see, it wasn't just judgment of scattering. It was preservation. It was the grace of God. And you might think, well, this is kind of stupid, Pastor David. It would be great if the world all loved and all was just one. Well, no, actually it wouldn't. Not yet. Certainly not apart from God. How do I know? Well, the Bible gives us a glimpse of a time in the near future when the world does enter into a one government, when the world does enter into a one religion. And instead of the world and the people leading it, no, it's led by one person known as the Antichrist. So we see what happens when they're unified apart from Christ. The divine judgment placed on the world here in chapter 11 is his act of grace. Everyone say God's grace. Because no matter how united the world aims to be, apart from Christ, there can be no true unity. Get that, people. Apart from Christ, there can be no true unity because true unity is being united in worship of the true God, His Spirit and His Son, Jesus Christ. It is by God's grace that He will not allow the world to enjoy unity on its own terms. Now hear me out. Maybe this whole little section that we just read here was an interesting read for us. But this is where the cross comes in. We're taken from the time of Noah and his sons to the event of the Babel, Tower of Babel, to the scattering of the nations. 
And then we're led next into chapter 12 to where? I should say to whom? To Abraham. We're not given any information as to what happened after the Babel, after the scattering. We're not given any information as to what happened before Abraham. But that wasn't an accident. The scribe and the authors, they, they, they didn't just accidentally rip out a page and say, oh, I forgot. Because get this. The judgment of God upon the people of Babel who thought they could unite the world, right? The Lord, he leads us somehow, wonderfully, brilliantly up to the promise of Abraham, which reveals to the promise of ultimate unity. From this, from this desire to unify the world by man's terms, all the way up to Abraham where God says, I'll show you what true unity is. The blessing of the entire world. And what was that? The promise of the coming Messiah, Jesus Christ. He says, you want to know unity? I'll show you unity. Man tried to reach God but couldn't. Jesus comes in as the mediator between God and man, the one who left his state of glory into humility as the reconciler to bring us peace with God through his death and resurrection. You see, Christ, he breaks down the dividing walls that remain between us. It's through Jesus that makes you and I brothers and sisters. And so Jesus, by faith in him, we become true sons and daughters of God, a new race which will populate the new earth for all eternity. What did God do? Through the sending of his son Jesus, get this, God, he reversed the confusion of Babel. The gospel and only the gospel message can transcend language, cultures, borders, age, differences, and so that we can all speak the same message of the gospel. Let me ask you, do you know the gospel and do you love the gospel? Do you know the gospel and do you love the gospel? It is, the gospel is what defines us. That's what Zephaniah 3.9 prophesied. He said, for at that time, I will change the speech of the peoples to a pure speech, that all of them may call upon the name of the Lord and serve him with one accord. You see, we all want to be on the same wavelength with one another, but people outside, it's not going to be through the common interests of sports or passions for cooking. It will always be united by the same language of Christ Jesus. So let me get real here. What's going on in your life today? How are you filling your days? Are you filling with friends, work, fun, hoping that the lonely, centerlessness of your life will somehow be satisfied? Maybe you're looking for that connection or some sort of relationship that will help you make it through just one more year. Let me tell you, it's not going to be found in this world. It's not. Even if you were to marry the man or woman of your dreams, even they will not satisfy your weary soul. They will not. The point of today's message is that this world, no matter how unified we get, is still a barren place for the souls of mankind. Making a name for yourselves. High acclaim, praises, diplomas, a perfect political solution, wealth, comfort are all but a cheap imitation of what only Christ can offer. Yes, God, all, God, he made us all into one big human family, but we can never truly enjoy that unity, that deep spiritual commitment with one another except under the rule of Jesus. So what's our call today? What's, how is God challenging you today? He's saying, abandon it. Abandon it all. Lay down your pride. 
Surrender your rebellious hearts and bow at the feet of Jesus and surrender yourself into his trust and to his service. Remember, God, he wants one thing from us. He wants faithful obedience. Not just sacrifices, but obedience. Lest you forget, it was a small, ragtag group of uneducated, unrefined disciples who quietly turned the world upside down. Brothers and sisters, this 2017 year, today, not just starting from 2017, January 1st, but today, entering into the new year, the Lord, I believe, has given us a challenge. And he is asking us, by his grace and through his power, to reverse the effects of the Tower of Babel and to bring true unity to the communities and to the people around us that only the cross can provide. True unity is found in Christ alone. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Simply put, maybe there is someone in, our, in your life that you've avoided because maybe they just seemed a bit too different than you. Maybe there's an age gap. Maybe there's a cultural gap. Maybe there's a language barrier. I think we now know that, um, that we've all come from one person. That these people, they may look different, speak different, eat things are different, and maybe they just... Maybe it has nothing to do with that. Maybe it's just they can speak the language and they're the same age, but maybe the occupations are different. I don't know. Maybe they hang out in a different circle. Our call right now is to seek them out, to pursue them, bring them to the amazing understanding of the gospel message, and do our part and just sharing that good news. But also, I think we need to understand is that as a church and as members here, we can all try to seek after the same thing, just have the same kind of friends and the same kind of music and whatever you want to call it. But if we all don't have Christ, then we're all not truly unified. I want to encourage you guys to continue to pray for your fellow members and especially for those who you feel um, are new to faith, that they will grow stronger with the Lord. Like this year, be honest with yourselves. How many of you have actually prayed for one another? Maybe some of you have, maybe some of you haven't. But let's take this new challenge and not just members within our church, but ones outside too. I believe the Lord has places on my heart. And I also believe that for many of you, the Lord has placed this on your heart as well. It's time to abandon all our just personal ambitions of making it about me-centered and really begin to ask God, God, how, how can I glorify your name? I'm not saying you have to drop your job. I'm not saying you have to leave your family. No. It's time for us to start asking the right questions. God, how can I glorify you through this relationship? How can I glorify you through my work here at this, at this corporate job or at the school or whatever? Let's stop making this year about us and more about 
God. I know that's a hard pill to swallow. But maybe that's what you have to wrestle with right now. Why it's such a hard pill to swallow. And what it is that's so hard to give up right now. And why. Okay, so let's take a moment and just pray. And we'll go into our last song.